Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. Even though you're listening to this on podcast and not on the air, you can still call our toll-free number, 877-929-9673, and you can still send us email to words at waywardradio.org, and you can still find us online at waywardradio.org. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. It's time for another update on some new words that I found. Yay! Or old words that I found. Yay! Let me ask you, do you have a catio in your house? Do I have a catio? Yeah, well, you have dogs and no cat, right? Oh, <laughs> is that a patio for the cat? <laughs> exactly. A catio yes! is a patio for the cat. It's kind of enclosed. So they can't get away, but they can still see the sky and the trees. Oh, a catio. Oh, very it's a sweet nice. little word, yeah. right? What about a flyaway? A flyaway? Do you follow Formula One racing? Um, no. A flyaway is kind of like a sleepaway for cars. <laughs> well, what? no. That means that Formula One races usually happen in Europe, but sometimes they'll play Asia. So the whole shebang, the whole show, the whole shooting match goes to Asia and they have a Formula One race there. It's called a flyaway. The race it, itself is the yeah, flyaway yeah, because they, everybody they, goes to a different country. Yep, they all fly away to a different country to have oh, their cool. Formula One race. Cool. Interesting, right? Uh huh. If you've got some new words that you'd like to share, give us a ringy ding dillo, one 929 9673 or send us an email to words at And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash waywardradio. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Lydia Casarda. I'm calling from Temecula, California. Hi, Lydia. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you. Uh, you know, my husband and I are we're actually very competitive when it comes to trivia, and I think our children have witnessed some brutal jeopardy, you know, competition mm. uh, between the jeopardy. two of us. <laughs> and uh, one of that sort of um, pressing, not pressing, but uh, kind of a long battle between us has been the word subscribe. Um, and he is claiming that I'm using the word incorrectly when I say something along the lines of, um, oh, that's, that's an idea that I subscribe to. And he's telling me I can't subscribe to an idea. What are his authorities? What? Yeah, I, you know, exactly. And, and I mean, he's like, you know, that, that, that's not applicable for that. You're not using it correctly at all. Is he just pulling and, this out of uh, thin air, or does he have, <laughs> does he have some supporting you know, data for this? Well, I have to say this about my husband, too. He's terrific about arguing. I mean, he, I, you know, he's almost frustrating because he, he has too much time to think about the argument or something. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. I'm, we have four-year-old twins. I don't know how that's possible, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so, you know, I mean, when he'll, he'll come back at, some, at me with some things, and they make sort of sense when he's talking about it, but later on I'm thinking, what? <laughs> what just happened? So, oh. Yeah, so this is, this is, this is our, our dilemma, and I'm, I'm dying to know who's, who's correct. So you married a baloney artist, and you want us to fix it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's he's an he's a well spoken baloney artist. Oh, okay. Though, I say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe you say prosciutto. Prosciutto would be a higher oh, level. Thing. <laughs> but still, lots of prosciutto, lots and lots and lots of it, right? Exactly, with some capers and lemon even, or something, you know? <laughs> okay, okay, that's another show. <laughs> that's good. Great. That's good. Food, you can't go wrong. Right. <laughs> you can certainly subscribe to an idea. Why not? I don't understand. Yeah, what it, his argument even Lydia, is? He's wrong. He's patently clearly 100% provably, demonstrably, factually wrong. This is so fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> but the question is, will he accept our authority? Now, maybe just put it this way. If he won't accept our authority, tell him there is no style guide in English that agrees with him. 
None of them. They don't even address Anywhere. it. Even the most hardline, most conservative style mavens don't even bother with this because there's no question that you can use subscribe to, to mean to follow an opinion or to agree with a point of view. Sure, to endorse heartily. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing the happy dance. <laughs> <laughs> so now he has to take care of the twins for a couple weeks all on his own, right? While you go on a vacation or something? Is there... I subscribe to that. Yes, I do. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Well, well, we're glad we could help. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I so appreciate your 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 settling this long decade of a, of a topic. <laughs> <laughs> Decades? Wow! A decade, yeah. Oh, you put up with too much, Lydia. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's another story too. But you know, <laughs> thanks for calling. Thank you. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. You know, Grant, it could be that he read some place about a scribe. Oh, it's possible. You know, like you ascribe human characteristics to your smartphone that is that is bothering you and and, mm-hmm. and frustrating you. I sometimes do that, and people use that incorrectly. How do they use it wrong? Um, they say I ascribe to the idea that um, oh, such and I such. See. It, That's possible. It could be that he got confused there, but um, I think we had a happy caller <laughs> on our hands. It's always nice to make people happy. <laughs> Lydia's husband, give us a call if you want to argue about it. We will happily engage. <laughs> if you have a question about language or a dispute you'd like to settle, call us 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Josh calling from uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Hi, Josh. Welcome to the program. Hello. Hi, I had a question about the phrase to sleep like a log. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was doing some missionary work in Tanzania, I learned Swahili, and uh, it's a very common phrase in Swahili, and it's a very uh, idiomatic use, and they taught this phrase to me, and they said, you're probably not going to understand what it means, but it's to sleep like a log, and the, the phrase is nili la la fo fo fo, and they were thinking they were going to have to explain it to me, and I was like, no, we have that exact same phrase in English. And they're like, no, there's no way that's possible. This is, you know, this is one of our phrases. And so I was wondering if you guys knew the origin of that. Oh, Joshua, I need to hear that again. Yeah, what's the Swahili? Uh, the Swahili is nili la la fo fo fo. Nili la la fo fo fo. Yeah. Oh, wow. I love that. That's, 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 that's melodic. It's musical. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's very melodic, and it's definitely an idiom. And, you know, it's really beautiful in their language, not so beautiful in English. And I was wondering if those two correspond in any way. Oh my gosh! Mm. I just I just want to wake up tomorrow saying "nili la la fo fo fo." So you were in. It's really fun to do that. Yeah. You were in Tanzania (laughs) and you learned Swahili as part of your work there as a missionary. Uh, Are Mm -hmm. you still fluent? Um, Unfortunately, I'm not. Uh, Right now, I'm a seminary and graduate school student in St. Paul. I was only in Tanzania for about four months. Okay. But it would probably be a lot easier for me to retake it back up. Mm-hmm. Martha, am I right in remembering that Swahili and English aren't the only languages where someone who sleeps well is compared to sleeping like a log? Well, I know you do in Spanish. What's you sleep that? like a tronco. And that's like a trunk. A trunk of a tree. Yeah, oh, right. A, and, right. and Italian is similar too, right? Uh, is it? I don't know. I, I don't, my Italian's terrible, but it's something like Domire di Grossa. A grossa is just a often it's a word that can mean the trunk of a tree or something big like oh, a big okay. rock or okay. a big thing. But um, yeah, that's interesting. So your question then, Josh is did Swahili get from English or vice versa, or is this yeah, just a well, common just human so comparison? Swahili and Swahili is such an old language. Mm-hmm. I figured we must have picked it up from them. But now that you say that's in Italian, I'm just really confused. <laughs> Do you think it's a size thing? Do you think that maybe a trunk, you know, that's a part of a tree looks about like a sleeping human? I mean, maybe it's just a natural thing. I think so. I mean, think about a big tree and it falls over, boom, and right. then it it's just lo- lies right. there. Right, there it is, know? on the ground. Hmm, interesting. I suppose it's one of those things where something arose independently mm-hmm. all over the so globe. Too. That's that's going to be my guess, that we that there wasn't some kind of trade between Swahili and no, English I, or anything I, like I, that. It's I, so it's common. It's almost impossible that Spanish and Italian and English and Swahili would... I mean, it's very possible they should they should independently derive this. It is, of course, possible that they all got it, that three of the four languages got it from Latin originally, but I don't see any right. evidence of that in the historical record. Right. I don't either. I don't hmm. either. I think they arose independently, but Joshua, that's just my guess. 
I have a question for you, by the way, about Swahili yeah. and scripture. You know, so, is it Psalm 51 where they talk about, um, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow? Yes. Uh-huh. I heard that in Swahili <laughs> it gets translated. Do you know this already? Yeah. Uh, well, this was a big problem for a lot of missionaries when they came down and started translating the Bible into African languages. A lot of people didn't have a word for snow. Um, and so that's a, a big movement right now in adapting different biblical versions is trying to understand the message for message in a phrase and mm-hmm. translate it so everyone can understand it. Mm-hmm. So what do they say instead of snow? Uh, uh, do they say well, clouds? Well, in Swahili, or? Uh, that, that grew up in Tanzania and on the East Coast, so they have Kilimanjaro, so there's oh. snow up there. So, so they, they actually oh, okay. have a word Very for good. snow. Very good. Okay. But for a, lot of, for a lot of ones, they also have the translation, it just washes you clean like water. Okay. Ah, Somebody told good. me that some uh, scripture says, wash me and I'll be whiter than coconut, which I just love. I hope it's true. <laughs> I've never heard that one, but that sounds like a lot of fun. Well, well maybe you could do some digging for well, us. Well, how do we say goodbye yeah. in Swahili? Um, Kwaheri. Kwaheri. Oh, well, thank you yep. so much for spending some time with us, Josh, and sharing your story. Yeah, thank you very much. And if you ever get a chance, pick up Swahili. It's easy and very versatile and a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye. Are you inspired, Grant? To do what? Learn, Learn Swahili? Swahili? I tried as a boy. I had one <laughs> of those... I had of one of those books did. from the bookstores that was, you know, 12 languages, you know, it's just like standard <laughs> phrases like, where do I find a hotel? And excuse me, that's my wallet. Things please like that. Please send the valet up to my room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. All that, that's wonderful stuff. I'll take a martini, please. Um, and Swahili was one of the languages in this in this book. And I remember learning it. And that's one of the reasons I am standing in this studio with you is because of little throwaway phrase books that I found when I was a kid. I love it. The farm boy in Missouri <laughs> trying to learn Swahili. That's so cute. Call us with your stories about languages learned and languages lost. one 929 Or put it all in email to words at waywardradio.org. Grant, not long ago on the show, we talked about the expression to hold a candle to. You remember that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's an expression in French that translates as to hold the candle. But do you know what it means? I don't know. It's different. In French, to hold a candle means to act as a chaperone. Ah, very good. But it's still related to our to hold a candle because it's the idea that somebody is yeah. alongside of you giving you light. Right. They're kind of a third wheel. Ah, and that led good. me to another term in English, which is to play gooseberry. To play gooseberry? Yeah. What is that? It's the same thing. It means to be a chaperone for somebody. It was used in the 19th century, and I don't know if it had to do with the young couple goes out uh, gooseberry picking, and the person goes with them and sort of turns their back to the kids Mm -hmm. and pretends to pick gooseberries, but uh, we don't hear that anymore. Of course, we don't really have chaperones that often anymore, I don't think, do we? No. These days, people just make out when mom and dad aren't around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, in French, also, to see 26 candles, voir 36 chandelles is to see stars. Like if you get hit on the head? Yeah, exactly. Or, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Not, not if you're walking down Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've come across an interesting word, we want to hear about it. Call us 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. It's a puzzle coming up next on Away With Words. listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And we're joined right now by our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hello, John. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. How Hi, are you John. Guys? What's up over there? You guys want to do a puzzle? Hey, yeah. Oh, sure. sure. You know anybody who has puzzles? Yeah, I got one. It's more All like right. a game. Okay. Uh-oh. Okay, this week. Now, there are lots of car games, 
But mm-hmm. one that I play all the time is the license plate word game. Maybe, uh, maybe you know this game. Oh, we you know do this, this all the time here in sure. California. Great. Some license plates have three letters and three numbers. Mm-hmm. Now, the way the game works, you spot a license plate, you ignore the numbers, and try to think of a word that contains the three letters in order. They don't have to be consecutive at all, but they have to be in order. Okay. For sure. example, if, if I saw a car with the license plate ABC123, mm-hmm. I might think of the word... Absidarian. Absidarian. Jackson 5. That's not bad. Um, the Jackson 5, right? Abacus. ABC123. Abacus is exactly the word I was going to use in my example. Ab- Abscess. Very good. Abscess is good. Halfback is fine. It contains A, B, and C in order. They're, they're not together, Ooh. but like I said, they don't have to be, Right. We're going to play a version of the license plate game that is very simple. I give you three letters, and you each have to give me a word that contains those letters. Each of us. Okay. Yeah, I've been not? leaning you... on Martha this whole time. Now I actually have to perform. <laughs> You're on your own. Do oh. we have to take turns, or is this a race? And do we go for the longer one, or the shorter uh, one, or what? It's sort of a race. We're going for. We're going to go for short ones, if you can. The short. shortest you can. The okay. shortest. See okay. what you can oh, do. This we'll is the way I play it. Well, okay. but okay. I'm kind of challenging. That's I think, how to we try roll to over okay. here, Miss yeah. Martha. <laughs> You'll have 15 seconds after I give the letters, okay? okay. And the shortest okay. word, quote-unquote, wins, though, you know, we're friendly here. Here we go. Let's start with let's start with a couple I think are easy ones, okay? Okay. Here's the first one. The first letters are C-B-L. Okay. So cable is a good right, one, cable. but that's, maybe we can do shorter than that, right? Cabal oh. is short, shorter. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Um, um, hmm. Well, I'll call time on that. Cable and Kambal actually both have five letters, so they, they tied for a short, shortest. And that's, okay. that's, 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 okay. that's a good, good. word, Cable good. and Kambal. Okay. Here's the next one. E-X-N. E-X-N. Oh, man. See, I'm going for the Extenuate. longer one. <laughs> <laughs> Extenuate. Exiting. Why not? Um, you know, don't let the man hold you down. Just do the long ones. We'll be fine. Um... Uh, I don't mind the long ones. <laughs> Dang, that's 15 well, seconds. I was going to say Texan, but... Texan, oh, a proper good. noun, comes in at oh. five. That's very uh, good. It's a proper noun, though, so... Loser. Yeah. Uh, but I think the uh, shortest I could find uh, common words for six letters, uh, expend. Very good. Uh, ah. Extant. And uh, extern. I like the word extern. extern. Mm, good yeah. one. Yeah, Isn't very good Isn't a former intern? What is an extern? Somebody who works for you but outside the office, I believe. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> okay. It's an intern on a road gang, a, ch- a chain gang, apparently. It's an extern. <laughs> okay, here's the next one. The letters are R Y T. Trist. Ooh. Ooh, Trist is good at five letters. Oh. Very good. Oh, How do we do better than that? that? You, sure, maybe. Yeah, try it. Um, Martha, you could probably match it. Riot. <laughs> right, R-Y-T? No, Just the, right the word. in the 15th century. Oh. <laughs> the riot act. That's good. Okay. That's time. I hear I, a ding. I like the word. Uh, that, that was a ding, but uh, the word for that uh, I like is crypt. Oh. oh, good one. Let's see. The next one is D-S-U. D-S-U. Disuse. Oh, nice. Well, not, nice, nice. D-S-U. Dissuade. Well, that's time. Disuse, fantastic. Disuse will give you that one at six letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also had discus. Oh, oh nice. Let's try this right. one. Ready? D-U-T. Duct. Dust. Duck and dust. <laughs> Those are two I had there. Very good. Two four-letter words. And I'll throw in Duet. Oh, Ooh, good. nice. Very good. Good. Nice. Ooh, this is tough. Uh, let's try this one again. Uh, eight letters was the minimum I found. F D C. Fiduciary. Fiduciary Ooh. is fiduciary is nine. Can you do a little better? F D C. Um, Feducate. No. <laughs> <laughs> Refudiate. No. Um, Fiducial? Fiducial? Yeah, fiducial. That's another one I found. Very good. And I'll call time on that. I also found the word feedback. Oh, that's a much easier one. Oh, Oh, my goodness. That was a really tough one. But I like that because you can, this is an incredibly portable game. I can take this and do stuff with this, right? Yeah. Very good. Well, we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, let's do it again. I got to drive. I got to bolt. Well, thanks, John, for that workout. Thanks, Martha. Thanks, Grant. Bye bye. Bye.
And if you'd like to talk about language, call us 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. And if you just can't wait to interact with us, check us out on Facebook, Wayward Radio. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Peter Schack from Davis, California. How are you, Martha and Grant? Hello, Peter. We're well. Hi, Peter. Great. Uh, something popped into my head the other day that I hadn't thought of probably in 30, 40 years. A phrase my mother used, and I'm wondering who the cat's mother was. For example, when, when my sister and I would uh, be doing something naughty or something like that, and I'd say, oh, 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 oh here, here she comes, my mother would yell out, who do you think she is, the cat's mother? And <laughs> I, I never understood what it meant. I do now. It's, I think it's a term of, uh, you know, it's showing disrespect for using a, a pronoun instead of somebody's name, I guess. Mm-hmm. But ah. where, where does it come from? I can't conceive of how that would, somebody would think of that. That's a really great question, Peter. Uh, so, So you're saying that, your mother was just a little peeved that she was being referred to as she and not by mother or exactly, her name. Exactly, or right. mom. Or, and she would even do it, you know, if we were, were referring to some other woman. And, you know, I was talking, well, she said this or she said that. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, who do you think she is, the cat's mother? In other words, use her name. Right. Instead of saying, you should have said Mrs. Robinson. or, exactly. or, or Right. Ah. Very good. Very good. This is a part of a longer tradition. Uh, you can find this back as far back as the 1870s, maybe even earlier, of people talking about this particular phrase. It's pretty interesting. There's a famous journal called Notes and Queries. You know this, Martha, sure. right? This is a, a classic journal where scholars and dilettantes uh, who had a desire for knowledge will send their queries to notes and letters to ask a question, and then everyone else will respond, and that will be published in the following issue. It's basically kind of a precursor to a discussion forum on the Internet. Or our show, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm the dilettante. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just the guy who reads. Um, There's a great example. It's exactly like yours. It says, a little girl runs into her mother and says excitedly, Oh, Mama, we met her just as we were coming home from our walk, and she was so glad to see us. <laughs> Upon which the Mama says, Who is she? The cat's mother? <laughs> right? And then the child laughs merrily and replies, No, it was Lucy Jones. But how? And the mother says, But how could I know that when you did not mention her name? And that's uh-huh. the crucial argument. So the cat's mother is just kind of a way of saying she could be any woman or any right. female animal of any kind. You know, you could, re- you could be referring to the, the house cat, you know. Um, and it's really interesting to me because this particular bit plugs into something I wondered as a boy as well, Peter, just like you. My mother didn't have that phrase, but she would get very upset when she would hear me and my four siblings talking about her and just saying she instead of mom. Yeah. Right? Because ah, she would just exactly, get she's yeah. kind of upset because she was raised in a way that meant that you referred to your elders by their title or some kind of term of respect, you know, something that she deserves. And so, Exactly. So, and it was only with females. It was never with males. Well, uh, you know, really? there's, a, there's, a, there's a famous book called She by H. Ryder Haggard where he, he comes up with the acronym for She Who Must Be Obeyed. And it's been used numerous times since by other authors. Um, and it's, yeah, it's John Mortimer, I think, in, yeah, in yeah, Rumpole of the Bailey. Exactly right. Yeah, and, it's and, an acronym? Swimball? Yeah, S-W-M-B-O. In any case, the whole point of this, that in the Rumpole books... He refers to his wife as she all the time because Ah. she has – and it's an idea that she's got a presence and even when she's not around, Mm, you know, mm -hmm, and she's mm – she weighs heavily upon his mind and and she is – well, anyway, whatever. She is not the way to refer to your wife or your mother, right? Right, yeah. right. It's like referring to the other, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a third kind of she here, which I think plugs perfectly into this culture paid to a woman who deserves your respect, right? Yeah. We require that. That is part of who we are. Um, in the Tolkien books, right, mm-hmm. Golem mm-hmm. refers to the big spider a she with a capital S. Oh, that's you know, the right. spider who guards the the um, pathway to uh, I don't know how you say the Kirith Ungol or whatever um, that yeah. goes up to the dark tower, and and it's the same idea. She is she's not 
whatever her name is, it's she. Because so anyway, this is all related, part and parcel to um, the expression um, "the cat's mother," as in "Who do you think I am?" The cat's mother. You should use the name, and that's what the, your mother was telling you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank our you pleasure. So Peter. much. That was great. Peter, thanks for bringing it up. Okay, take care now. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye. Now, Grant, I had never heard of that, and so I was thinking that it must have to do with the, with her sneaking up behind them as quietly as a cat or oh, something. Oh, very interesting. But, uh, that was fascinating. That's possible. All the history of that. If you've got a question about something that your mother used to say, seems to be a trend, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or put the long story in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Sheila from Billings, Montana. Hello, Sheila. Welcome. What would you like to talk with us about? Well, my husband and I both grew up in Colorado, and everyone that we knew pronounced C-O-Y-O-T-E as coyote. And this, we now live in Montana, and this seems to be true throughout a lot of Montana and Wyoming as well. We all say coyote. Um, But both our kids moved back east, and we've noticed that elsewhere in the United States, a lot of people seem to say coyote instead. Mm-hmm. So we wondered if saying coyote was some sort of western regional dialect, and um, if so, how that came about. Yeah, bingo. Exactly right. It is a common pronunciation of the word C-O-Y-O-T-E in the mountain states and in the southwest and in the west in general of the United States. If you look in dictionaries from 100 or 150 years ago, all of them, have the two-syllable pronunciation as the standard pronunciation. It is not until later that the three-syllable pronunciation comes into play. Hmm. And there's a reason for this. It's a classic story of how we learn words. Whole parts of this country only know the coyote from reading. And so they looked at the word, they figured it was some kind of foreign word, probably Spanish, and then they pronounced it that way. So you have these two diverging paths of pronunciation. But in the West... Historically, as I understand it, Americans from the earliest days picked the word up not from Spanish speakers, but from Native Americans. Oh, really? Yes. And in their language, the word comes to us from Nahuatl, which is a Mexican language. And it's C-O-Y-O-T-L. And it is more or less two syllables. The L, I believe, is very liquid. So it's coyote, something like that. And so... It sounds more like coyote than it does coyote or coyote or any of the other various pronunciations that people have invented for themselves. And so in the West, the word comes into English from um, a Native American language where it is very similar to coyote. It is a natural, normal pronunciation. It's not an affectation. It's not anything that means that they're uneducated or anything like that. It is a part of the dialect of the West. And as a matter of fact, if... You and I met, Sheila, say at a a business conference somewhere, and I wanted to figure out where you were from. One of the standard questions I might ask you is how you pronounce that word. And then I could divide the country right down the middle and assume that if you said coyote, that you were from the West. And so in California, they tend to say coyote also. Oh, you know, obviously this is a country with a lot of migration and a lot of weird patterns of people from elsewhere, particularly in the military towns and in the industrial towns and that sort of thing. But in general... People who've been here for a generation or two and have strong roots in the West, and definitely in Colorado. It's great that you're from Colorado because mm-hmm. that is the heart of it. Coyote is nearly universal. People know the coyote pronunciation from television and movies, but it's not part of their natural vocabulary. Yeah, I was going to say Wiley Coyote probably yeah. influenced a generation, right? Yeah, definitely. Those Roadrunner cartoons. Yeah, definitely. Um so to summarize, Sheila, the coyote pronunciation is fine. It is the older pronunciation in American English. It probably comes from the Mesoamerican Nahuatl language spoken still in Mexico. And the coyote pronunciation is also fine. It just happens to be newer and probably descended from a different pronunciation tree. Great. Thank you so much. Sure. Our pleasure. Thanks for calling, Sheila. Thank you. Bye-bye, Sheila. Bye-bye. Tell us how they speak out your way, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or put it in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Hillary Mosier. I'm calling from McKinleyville, California. McKinleyville, what county is that in? That's in Humboldt, past the Bong County. <laughs> <laughs> well, put down the pipe and tell us what's on your mind. Well, you know, I, many years ago, in the early 70s, decided to go to college in England. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, you know, it would be fine because I speak English and they mm-hmm. speak English. And I got there and discovered, no, 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 I speak American. 
Uh. They speak English. <laughs> and the first time it hit me was when I went, it was the first night I was there, and I went into one of my roommates and asked if I could borrow a bobby pin. And she just looked at me blankly and said, what's that? And I said, you know, it's like a wire clip that holds your hair back. And she said, you mean a Kirby grip? And I said, who's Kirby? And she said, well, who's Bobby? And all of a sudden it occurred to me, yeah, who is Bobby? What, what the heck? And then several months later I was working as an au pair for a young British family. And we got up on Sunday morning and the mother said, we're having a joint tonight. And I thought, what? I, I had just moved from San Francisco and hadn't <laughs> had any such thing in quite a while since I'd been in England. Mm-hmm. But I thought, okay, well, we'll see what how they do joints in England. And we went throughout the day, and we, you know, went gardening, and then we cooked the roast beef and the potatoes and the the green beans, and we ate our dinner, and we bathed the children and put them to bed, and then they started to say goodnight. And I said, well, wait a second, how about the joint? And they both <laughs> looked at each other and blinked, and... Just in that moment, I remembered reading Shakespeare in high school and coming across a joint of mutton. And it occurred to me, oh, oh, yeah. their joint must be the, the roast beef. How disappointed and you must have been. They both said, oh, we didn't know if you smoked or not. <laughs> and it turned out, it, it all worked out well, but what a confusion. It all worked out well. And then on another time, I, I, want, I needed some thumbtacks. And I went to a place called Portobello Road, which mm-hmm. is like a gigantic yard sale. Mm-hmm. And I went, it has little booths that people go and sell their things. And I, I later found out it's actually, if you get burgled, you go there and find your things that weekend. <laughs> but I said, do you have any thumbtacks? And they would say, thumb what? No, we ain't got none of those. Go down the road. Mm-hmm. And I'd go to the next one. Do you have any thumbtacks? No, no, go down the road. And finally, I saw on a corner a store that was called the Ironmongers. And it had, like, washboards hanging from the eaves. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. So I went inside, and sure enough, it turned out that's the English version of a hardware store. And there behind the counter, I saw a package of thumbtacks. And I said, I would like a package of thumbtacks. And the man said, from what? No, we ain't got none of those. Go down the road. And I said, no, no, they're <laughs> hanging right there. And he pointed, and he said, you mean these? And I said, yeah. And he said, drawing pins. I said, yeah, drawing pins. Yeah, can I have a package of those, please? Hillary, you're great fun. Well, thank you. Thanks for calling, Hillary. All right, you're welcome. Best of luck Take to care. you. Bye-bye. 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 What are your crazy stories about English encounters? one 877 Or put in an email to words at waywardradio.org. Do you know the word elemosinary? Well, if you don't, you will when Away With Words continues. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. More at nu.edu. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Elemosinary. 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 Now, there's a word you can lift your hat to, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And my spelling, too. How do you spell that? (laughs) It's E-L-E-E-M-O-S-Y-N-A-R-Y. What a strange word. It is a really weird word, and it means of or relating to or dependent upon charity. Uh It comes from the Latin. It's related to the word alms. That's how you can remember it. Grant, I was thinking of this word recently because I saw a production of a play by that very name, Mm -hmm. Elemosinary, here at Moxie Theater in San Diego. This play is written by Lee Blessing, and I love it in part because it's a celebration of language itself. Very good. It's about three generations of women, including an eccentric grandmother, her repressed daughter, and her granddaughter who wins the National Spelling Bee by spelling correctly that word elemosinary. But she talks a lot in the play about the very deliciousness of words, and I want to read you just a little bit from the script. 
I fly with words. Oh, I know it sounds stupid to say, but it's true. Certain words literally lift me up to a a private altitude, sortilage, cheriveri, ungulate, favonian, and the word that means playing with words, logadaddly. Isn't that a great one, logadaddly? It's a one-word yodel. <laughs> I love that. Logadaddly. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. I love that. And I won't go through now the meanings of all those words, although I do love favonian. Mm, what is favonian? It means mild, and it comes from the Latin word for the west wind, which was known for being particularly ah, mild. Very good. But, you know, Grant, the other word that I was thinking a lot about that night because I was sitting in the theater called Moxie Theater is the word moxie. Mm, now, nice. that has a great origin, mm-hmm, right? Sure, yeah. It is a soft drink, I think. Yes, yes. Back in 1884, a guy up in New England marketed something called moxie nerve food, which was kind of a nostrum that helped you with all kinds of physical ailments. Mm-hmm. But this was one of the first soft drinks in the United States. And it was kind of bitter, but it was known for giving you pep and vigor and energy. And, um, you know, people would say, oh, that person has a lot of moxie, meaning they have a lot of courage and ah. gumption, that kind of thing. It's a perfect name for what theater should be for you. You mm-hmm. know, it should be bracing like a tonic for your sure, mind. Sure. Vigorous. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very Vigorous. Nice. So I was I was thinking about both those words, elemosinary and moxie. Okay. Super duper. If you've got a question about language, give us a call, one 929 or put the whole thing in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Good morning. Good morning. Who's this? This is Elima calling from Hawaii. Elima. Oh, Elima, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm excited to uh, be with you guys. Well, what can we help you with today, Halima? Well, guess what? Chicken butt. What? <laughs> That's my question. What? <laughs> um, I had a question about the expression, guess what? Um, oh. Every time I see it written, I see it uh written with a question mark at the end. And that's never made sense to me because it always seems more like an imperative than a question. Aha, very Ah. interesting. So if you were writing it, you would put a period and not a question mark. Yeah, or an exclamation point. Ah, very interesting. Well, let me ask you, how would you you punctuate the sentence, would you please shut up? (laughs) (laughs) This is a hypothetical, right? I would punctuate that with an exclamation point, too. An exclamation point, not a period. But I, can, I could see, I could see how it could be a question, a question mark or a period. Yeah, sure. Hmm. So if you say "guess what," as far as you're concerned, it's an order and not a query. That, that's just what it it sounds like to me. Nobody else writes it that way, and it just never looked right with a question mark to me. Because you're right. To me, it, it sounds like an order. You're telling the person to guess. Right. Mm-hmm. You're yes. not asking a question. Right. It sounds like there's some words left out, like, I want you to guess what I'm thinking or something, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and you're right. In all of, the, all of the data that I can search here, I see that people use a question mark, like nearly all, actually, in professionally edited texts, like books and newspapers, it's almost always a question mark. In casual mm-hmm. stuff like blog, blog posts and emails and, and discussion forum stuff, people tend to use the question mark plus the exclamation mark because I think there's a sign of there's a sense of a question happening, right? But there's a sense mm-hmm. of something forceful being said too, right? Guess what? Right. Guess yeah. what? You don't say, guess what? But you'd almost think with a, with a question mark, it'd be, guess what? Yeah, that's how it looks in my mind when I oh, read it that way. It looks like you're saying, guess what? <laughs> and to me, that you know, you're telling somebody else to ask a question, and, and the response to guess what is what? Well, there are plenty of the questions. There are plenty yeah. of questions that you might ask where you wouldn't have a, a wouldn't raise the inflection at the end. Like, do you mind? Do you mind? Mm-hmm. No, you say, do you mind? And there's a little mm-hmm. bit of a hit there, but say what? <laughs> exactly. What? Say what? Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. So your question is: Do you use an exclamation mark or a question mark in the two word phrase "guess what"? Yeah. Mm, it's a puzzle. Mm. Well, I got to say that uh, this question has come up before. Some people prefer to use the intero bank. Do you know this punctuation mark? No. I N T E R R O B A N G. It is a single character that combines the question mark and the exclamation mark into one. And wow. it's it's common enough that it actually appears in Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary in one of their tables of punctuation. 
It's never really caught on, although no. once in a while you'll find it on the the keyboard of an old typewriter. I was going to say that's that's <laughs> it's taking me back to when I used to make those with the backspace. Yeah, yeah, everything. you could make them in a typewriter yeah. in a way that you can't easily do on a computer. Right. Although it is now a standard part of the Unicode font set, so you can actually call it up if you know how and use it. But but, who's it's, but it's it? not a part of formal writing. It's no. like any any copy editor worth his or her salt would just strike that mark right out of it and replace it probably with a question mark. With a question mark? Guess yeah. what? But In it is Tarot weird. I, I understand what she's saying. There is an alternative here. Oh, there is? Yeah. Did you ever hear the fellow Ted Bernstein? He was a language no. commentator in the 1960s and 1970s, wrote a few books. He's long since passed, but he used to be a managing editor for the New York Times. He invented a character called the Prone Quark. P- <laughs> what? P-R-O-N-E-Q-U-A-R-K, the Prone Quark. And it never really caught on. But it's, <laughs> I guess not. But it solves the problem. It's a question mark lying on its side. <laughs> and a so, dead question mark? So it's mark? kind of face down with the hump pointed up. And he says that you should use this on expressions like, would you please shut up? Because it's really an order, not a question. It, it, right? Right. If I say, would you please shut up, I really mean, shut up. And if I say, guess what? It means, I don't really care if you guess. I'm about to tell you something that I find to be significant. Right? Yeah. And so he suggests you should use the prone quark. What do you think? Are you advocating this, Grant? I'm just thinking. No, I'm just offering as an opportunity to confuse and muddle things. So <laughs> if I've muddled this, then my job is done. <laughs> A muddle opportunity. I don't know. D- does it appeal to you, Ilima? I'm definitely going to bring back the prone quark. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to summarize this, if you're writing professionally and formally for business or for you know something that's going to be printed and read by a lot of people, you should go with the question mark. Otherwise, okay. have a ball and put the exclamation mark there. Let people know that it's an exciting moment for you and that there's not really a question implied. <laughs> and really what you're saying is, I'm about to tell you something that I think is important. <laughs> so that's my advice. Great. Does that work? That's terrific. Until we uh, bring back the prone quark, I'll get used to seeing it with the question mark. Yeah, if you Google the right prone on. quark, look for the fellow. His name is Theodore Bernstein, Theodore M. Bernstein, and you'll find a little bit of information about him, his books, and the prone quark. Terrific. Thank you so much. Super duper. Thanks for calling. Mahalo. Mahalo. Something about punctuation. Have you puzzled? Call us 1-877-929-9673, or you can send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. uh, My name's Mark. I'm calling from Dallas. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the program. All right. I grew up in New York, and my wife is from West Texas, and we're always teasing each other about accents and odd words and stuff. And one that I really love is a story she tells about her grandfather, who was a World War I vet who lived around Tulsa, Oklahoma his whole life. And she said that when a meal was really delicious, old Sam would push back from the table and say, that's Larrapin. And I've never heard of that. Nice. Where in New York are you from? Uh, I was born outside the city, and I I lived in uh, upstate New York, uh, up by... uh, the St. Lawrence River. Okay. So these are two very distinct styles of American English, aren't they? Oklahoma Absolutely. English and New York-style English? <laughs> Seems to be. Yeah. Well, this makes uh, perfect sense. Yeah. What is that Larrapin? Where is that? Is that a regional thing? or? Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, you hear it mostly in the Texas, Oklahoma, West Midlands area like that. And, um, and it's an adjective, right? Larrapin. Yeah. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's not like <laughs> like he's comparing it to some noun that's no. a, a larrapin. It's not a kind of terrapin or anything Correct. like that. Right, yeah. right. Do you have any sense of how it's spelled? I don't know, actually. I've only heard it in, in speech, so mm-hmm. L-A-R-A-P-I-N, I would assume. Yeah, yeah. that's one version of it. It's not really standardized. Oh, there are about 900 ways to spell larrapin. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, but it looks like it comes from an old word that means to beat or to strike or thrash, so, you know, a whomping good slice of pie. Right, okay. Oh, so, wow. So we have, we have other words in English that behave the same way. Sure. Doesn't that beat all? Yeah. Um, right? Yeah. Okay, okay. all right. Yeah. Good. So right. it's just the comparison about if it thrashes or beats something, then it's just so good that it actually literally pummels the competition and rises to the top. <laughs> yeah, strikingly good. <laughs> strikingly yeah. good. There we go. <laughs> so, what a hit. <laughs> yeah. That's wow. great. We could go great. on and on. Martha, my southern flower, do you have larapin as part of your vocabulary? <laughs> <laughs> Only by adoption. I've, ah, okay. uh, I've adopted it into my vocabulary because I love it. Have you, Mark? Well, uh, since I learned about it, yeah, I I now 
do that as sort of a tip of the hat to my wife and and her family or whatever, and and uh, so I'll I'll pipe up with that at the end of a meal sometimes, and and it goes over well. People receive that and they understand that it's a compliment, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Larapin. Yeah. Well, maybe more people will adopt it now. I think it's a great word. Larapin. Mm. Well, you're a Larapin good caller, Mark. We appreciate well, your calling. Thank you. Thank you, All Mark. Right, well, all right, I'll be listening. Thanks. All right, take okay, care of yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. What's on your mind about language? Send it our way, words at waywardradio.org, or ring us on the telephone, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. A couple new words for you. Martha, you know that I recently started working with this great bunch of young journalists here in San Diego. Yes, Voice and so, of San Diego. So I'm right. getting refreshed on all this great journalism jargon. Do you know what a FOIA is? A FOIA? How do you spell that? F-O-I-A. That's going to give it away. Oh, a Freedom of Information Act. Yeah, it's yeah. a Freedom of Information Act request, which yeah. is you fill out the paperwork to submit it to a government agency and say, I want this data or these records, and it's all handled according to the law and official, and they have a certain amount of time to respond. But it's a FOIA. Right, Interesting. Right. I so, thought you were pretentiously talking about the lobby there. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped my FOIA in the foyer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's your new word? Something to share with us? Something you've invented or something you found? One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is uh, Carol Reed from Hudson, Wisconsin. Hello, Carol. Welcome. Thank you. How can we help you today? Well, I have a curious question. I was raised in northern Wisconsin on a farm, and um, all our life we referred to. Uh, cow droppings as cow pies or horse droppings as horse biscuits, and I'm wondering what the connection between um, culinary and animal droppings is, uh, <laughs> culinary terms, and why we would use those in that way. And several years ago, I edited a book for a uh, gentleman who was writing about his family in uh, southern Wisconsin and their role in the Civil War, and he used that term, and I could never document if that was it, when that term came into usage. So if you can shed some light on that, too, that would be interesting. So he was writing fiction from the period, and you were worried that there was an anachronism there with cow pie? Or cow- yes. I see. And uh, I know there's cow chip, and mm-hmm. there's buffalo chip, which is also not quite culinary, but along the line. And uh, So you're wondering, first of all, why they are connected with food words. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and a, a pie, other than its shape, doesn't really resemble something we would put in the oven, and neither does a horse biscuit. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> unless they were <laughs> cooked by some guy on some cattle drive, but they... I'm just curious. Okay. Well, I don't, you know, I have to tell you, I don't know, Carol, if I would agree with that. <laughs> a cow... A uh, cow pie, to me, looks remarkably like just a brown meringue. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, maybe the way you cook, but... <laughs> <laughs> the way I cook, I'm for sure. sure. I mean, if, we, if we forget what it's made of and look about the, the shape and, the, yeah, and, the, and the the, something solid formed from something that used to be liquid. And the same for the horse biscuit. Horse poo is sometimes look like a very tall biscuit that had a <laughs> lot of baking powder. <laughs> I don't think well, this is a stretch. I don't. Uh, I think there's a visual similarity there that's kind of obvious to anybody who thinks about food a lot, which I do. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about Spanish, and, and you don't refer to cow tacos, but... <laughs> but cow tortillas? <laughs> well, you yeah. do, I, I, don't, I don't know if the word is too naughty to say on the air in Spanish, but, but it translates as cow cake. Ah, so, I so I see a common thread here, mm. which I never thought about. So you think about these kinds of things, do you, Carol? I've just been curious because, mm-hmm. you know, we spent a lot of time with the animals and raising animals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we went barefoot in the pasture in the summers. And uh, ah, you had to nice. avoid stepping in cow pies, which really look more <laughs> like spinach quiche than they do like brown meringue. Oh, that's nice. Thanks for the visual. <laughs> Wonderful. Those You'll cow- never eat it again. <laughs> Somebody should tell those cows to chew their cud better. <laughs> but, you know, I just... I just could never find one that was in, brought into common usage. And, um, sounds like you have some dogs. So you've yeah. been worrying about this editing decision for a very long time. I have. This has been like 15 years. <laughs> wow. Well, and I have to let it go, but <laughs> the book's published. <laughs> right, and, right. and so you ended up using cow pie in the book about the Civil War? 
Um, I suggested he didn't use it because I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, since he couldn't really document it, that right. where it came from at the time, I mean, it was just, I'm sure it's just one of those words that came into the dictionary at some point. But when you Google cow pie, you get, you actually get a candy treat. You know, you get, it's a, uh, it's not, you, you can't find anything that refers to cow manure. You just find this. I don't know, this cake with marshmallows between it is a cow pie in some areas of the country. So Oh, 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 right, right. It's it's a so, funny and that's name. That's another food thing. So. Yes, yes, yes. That's that's another funny food name that's that's applied from something kind of gross. Sort of like um lasagna comes from a, a, an Italian word that means chamber pot. Um, <laughs> this may be the grossest call we've ever done. Oh, we can do better, sure. <laughs> or worse. You know, I am looking at the Oxford English Dictionary, which only has cow pie back to about, I can't believe I'm even saying this, which only has cow pie back to about 1947. Oh, surely it must be older. You would think cow yeah. pie would be How much old older. How old is that entry? Is that from 1989? Mm, I bet they answered it that with no problem. It is 1989. Mm, yeah. Well, some, somebody's on the cow pie case, Carol. And, okay. Um, um, so we may have some news for you in the future about that. That but, sounds um, good. <laughs> thanks for calling. Um, if we come up with anything that antedates it and proves that it could have been said during the Civil War, we'll let you know. Okay, that sounds good. And thanks very much. Okay, super. Okay, bye. Bye. That's our show for this week. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message even when we're not on the air. The number's 1-877-929-9673. Or send us emails. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Or stay in touch with us all week on Facebook. Join us at facebook.com slash waywardradio. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. We've had production help this week from Josette Herdell and Jennifer Powell. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Take care. Sayonara. You say either, and I say either. You say neither, and I say neither. Either, either, neither. Neither, let's call the whole thing off. You like potato, and I like patata. You like tomato, and I like tomato. Potato, patata, tomato. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. More at nu.edu. Hey there, podcast listeners. Just want to let you know that although we give you the show free and we give it free to stations, it does cost something to send these episodes out to hundreds of thousands of listeners across the planet. Help support our educational mission by going to the website and clicking the donate link. Ten bucks? A little more? How about as much as you think it's worth? Thanks in any case for helping us keep shop.